Hello and welcome to another edition of the Talking Basketball Podcast. I am Mark. I am Paul. Welcome back. Welcome back. We've got another guest in. We have a fantastic guest, Mark. We have a fantastic guest. How fantastic is the guest today? Well, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. It does not get bigger than this. You almost ran out of notepad paper. Yeah. Former BBL, Brighton Lions, Thames Valley Tigers, Fimba, GB, Solent Stars, Trailblazers. I could go on and on and on. Barrett in Chicago. I could go on, Mark. I could go on. What was that place again? Barrett. <laughs> Is that right? Barrett. 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 Oh. <laughs> Good start. Well, I well like that. here we go. Let me do it. Yeah, yeah now. Stand and cheer for former BBL, BBL player. player. Eckhart, number nine, nine. Mark Jackson. That was a good one. I have never heard an entry like that. That's insane. That's the standard now. We can give you this recording later and you can just play that for yourself. Just, you know, at home. When you get a text message. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do it at home when you walk in the house. Fight the Chicago Bulls entry me. Yeah. You say goosebumps. Hello, Alexa. That's how it's got to reply (laughs) to you. (laughs) Well, Mark, welcome. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the podcast. Like, we really appreciate you having, you know, your um, storied history. Well, again, I'm I I don't know where to start. So, I mean, there's so much a wealth of experience of like Mark's basketball career. Um, That's not saying you're old. Well. Yeah, I am old. <laughs> I am old. I get told this on a daily basis at my place of work. <laughs> so, Mark, well, I tell you what, where, where did, actually uh, we got two marks here. So, yeah. Mark, and you're going to be Jax, right? Okay. okay. Yeah. So, where, Jax, where do you want to start with this? I, I mean, where do you want to take start? us back? Take us back. Let's go back Childhood. to. The, let's go back. I guess it's going to be like maybe Mickey Byrne. Is that okay. where it started for you? Yeah, yeah, a little bit before that. I've. How far back do you want to go? As far back as you can. All right, I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet then. So I was playing football first at nine and then realised quite quickly not to, to do a throw-in yeah, as a chess pass. So I did a chess pass instead of a throw-in and my coach was like, nah, it's not for you. Not for you. So I went and found basketball. My mum found it actually in the newspaper and said, do you want to do something for the summer? You look bored. So yeah, I'll go pick a ball up. And then found <laughs> basketball. And then from there, I started playing a lot more. Um, got involved with the club. Then I found Mickey Byrne. He's my first National League coach. Before that, there was Jimmy Guyman and Jeannie Asher. But uh, Mick was my first coach, yeah. When I got the opportunity to play for Portsmouth, Portsmouth Pirates, they were called. Yeah, the Portsmouth Pirates. That's, that was with like um, uh, Andy Rowlands yeah. and... Alex Byrne was on my team. Was it Luckett? Was Luckett around then? Yep. Andy Luckett. Was, his was, dad was doing the coach, getting the coaches for you, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, it was a yeah. good setup. My dad used to drive me down there. We used to come down to Portsmouth and play. And then uh, Mick, then they encouraged us to play for Solent Stars Youth. So when we were like 14, 15, we were encouraged to play with a men's team. So like Alex and I would go and play with the men. And you had guys like Paul Philp, um, who's a legend. Let's put it that way. Paul Philp. Uh, you had like Martin Dowdle. Joe Moran. Martin Dowdle. We had yeah. Jason Colgan. I mean, Craig Metcalf. These guys were names to me. They were big. Yeah. And uh, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't remember what division we were in. I know we played and we went to a Wembley final. Alex and I went up as ball boys because we was only teenagers. 
But yeah, we got to watch them play at Wembley Arena. Big Nick Burns seems like seven foot tall. To me, he's like a giant. And then Paul Philp throwing passes like they were bullets. Like literally, you're five feet away from him and he throw it like a bullet and then expect you to catch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a it was great playing with adults when we were only like 14 and 15. Quick learning curve. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Mick, that Mick sink or intense, swim, isn't it? Yeah, Mick was an intense coach to play for. He'd let you know if you've made a mistake, which is <laughs> Well, not, did you ever lose a me. game and leave, he, 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 drive off with a bus? No, I never. <laughs> you were lucky. No, yeah, I've heard stories of Mick <laughs> driving teams and then telling people they're not getting in the bus. This and the other. <laughs> Mick used to drive me from when I played for the juniors. We went to play at um, Plymouth. Mick drove me all the way to play with the men's team at Plymouth, and I remember being asleep in the passenger seat. Mick was driving, and I used to flinch when I slept. And I just flinched one time and smacked it while he was driving. <laughs> I remember waking up going, oh, sorry, Mick, sorry. He was like, what are you doing? And I tried to swing on my own coach. <laughs> but no, he was he was cool. He used to take me to and from. A lot of fun playing for Mick. I, I think what uh, what Mick did a lot for for people, like, there'll be so much Mick did for people that we wouldn't even, we'll never know about. He, he enabled did, people to play. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, what he gave did, you an opportunity, yeah. Gave you that and the financial side of it, yeah. he dealt with a lot of that for people yeah. as well. Made it accessible for people to get in and just get playing. Yeah. Which, like you say, people don't always appreciate the, I want to say the backroom staff, but everything that's the overhead that goes on with. Yeah. Just running one team or getting a court. Or yeah. Refs and travel and logistics of having a load of kids there. And yeah. He never I, used to sugarcoat anything either. He would tell you to your face if you messed up. But that's what you like yeah. as a yeah, player, when we isn't were, it? When we were a junior, you didn't want to sugarcoat it. Just tell me I did yeah. that wrong. And I'll prove you wrong the next time kind of thing. Yeah. And I, th I think for a lot of people, that mentality is actually better because it's like, yeah, okay, I know where I stand. Okay, I can do something about that or yeah. try. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that mentality is nice to have from him. Um, and that, let's be fair, if you are softer about it or you're upset about it, being shout you probably wouldn't stay on the team anyway no. would you no no you had to have thick skin back then yeah very thick skin with him <laughs> um i remember a guy getting he, he came on i think he missed a layout and it was like sub he was on for about <laughs> 20 seconds and he walked off and sat at the bottom of the bench and i just remember going oh that's a mistake yeah sat like that's the you, wrong place to sit you know you had like six of us on the bench and then like six spaces and then him and i was like he's not coming he didn't come in he literally played 20 seconds the whole game but he never played for us again but yeah <laughs> wrong attitude isn't it wrong yeah. attitude you gotta yeah. think about it um so yeah like happy memories of of the pirates the Portsmouth yeah, Pirates. Yeah. yeah i mean 47 now i don't remember all of the games i could tell you all of them but yeah it was a good time it was my first chance to play National League basketball, go up to Brinkston, play all these teams, you know, get to see other kids playing basketball that aren't just in the Southampton area. That you see on a weekly basis, you started traveling around and seeing what other people could do. What was that transition yeah. like then from taking it from like a local yeah. kind of league to that? To that stage. Yeah. I think, Is that I, one of the biggest steps, do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think so. Like we were playing here and you got comfortable playing with the people you knew. And then you're on a bus and you're going to Brixton and you're playing against top cats. And these kids play with chips on their shoulders. And now you're like, oh, this is this is for real. These are, this is how good these kids are. You think you're good in your little town in Southampton. And then you go up to London and you play East London Royals. And these kids are on the England under-16s program. And you're thinking, yo, these guys can hoop. You know, this is impressive stuff. Now yeah. I need to up my game. 
So that was, that was good, being able to play on a stage that showed you what the talent was like. Mm. Brixton's an intimidating place to play when you were a junior. Back then, it was intimidating. It was intimidating in men's as well. Yeah. I, I, one thing, I don't know what, the only thing I remember about Brixton was in the corner, there was like a full-on DJ. Yeah, that's it, Kiss just, FM. Just, and it was like the whole... Yeah. During the game, that's yeah. what I didn't really get. Um, <laughs> but yeah. It was intense to play in, but you you had guys like myself that would love going there. You like the, the banter, you like the pressure of being under it. It was fun playing up in Brixton. And so those experience that you had from that young age, I guess that's developing you as a player that you turned into. So you got that thick skin because yeah. you're dealing with Mick. You have those harsh atmospheres, let's say. And then you're going into, you're just used to it by then. Yeah, I mean, that kind of set me off on, when I went to America and I went to Barrett, my coach um, played used to play mind games with guys. He was a psychologist and he used to, try and get inside your head to see if you were strong enough. Like he used to walk around with a fake plane ticket in his back pocket. <laughs> and if you missed a layup or you didn't shoot the shot, he'd wave at me, be like, I'm gonna send your ass home, man. <laughs> like, man, shut up. And then That's I remember in my first year, he was he was harsh, man. My first year I went over there as an 18 year old playing. And then my senior year, because I was captain like junior senior year. Oh, wow. I gave him a letter and I sort of said, look, Appreciate everything you did for me, coach. Thanks for being a prick in my first year. <laughs> you you kind of molded me into the player that I was, a bit more thick skin. Yeah. Like I've met, I watched him make six foot six guys cry. He used to get in their face, right up under their nose, and yell at them. And if they weren't mentally strong enough, they would just ride the bench. So yeah, coming being able to play over here against those kids like Brixton and that, just kind of sent me over to America, ready. Really. So what's that like? So you're you're going over to America, and yeah. look, not to be not to be harsh, but in those days, yeah, the you know English we weren't known for competing against Americans no. as far as basketball is concerned. So yeah. you're really out there, yeah. Um, I guess with a point to prove, like you know we can play, yeah. Um, what's that transit? What's what's that like going into that environment? Well, I was I was fortunate enough. Jimmy Guyman was working alongside me, and he kind of encouraged me to go out to a camp and I got spotted so I got to play against other American kids but back then I wasn't really thinking oh you're American and I'm English it was more a case of I played basketball so do you let's see who's better and my first year was tough I used to sit on the bench a fair bit behind this American point guard um, but you just paid your dues worked hard practiced hard and then tried to get into the rotation were you and better than them some of the seniors the senior point guard was very intelligent and I, I was brought over as a point guard. And then my coach realized I had a relatively good outside shot. And I used to spend a lot of time on their shootaways in the gym when I didn't play. So I might not play for one whole game and I'd stay in the gym. And then he moved me to a shooting guard. So I played three years at the two spot and I used to love it. Coming off screens, catching shooting offenses kind of thing. And he used to bring in point guards to play alongside me. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a really fun time playing over there in the States. Um, but it was a lot slower game, I've got to be honest. I look back at the videotapes and I think, okay, that we used to, it's a slower pace than it is now. These kids nowadays are ridiculously athletic at 16 years of age. What about spacing though? Yeah, spacing wise, I think there was more tactical and more thought out and a bit more methodical back then. Um, the league I played in the NAI Division 1. But now it's just this whole shoot within 10 seconds of the offense has just changed massively. I mean, our shot clock was 35 seconds. You had a 10 seconds to get it over. Guys would literally take most of the 35 seconds to shoot. You play two 20-minute halves. That's saying something. There you wow. are. Two 20-minute halves. I mean, 
that that's not even thought of anymore, is it? So it's a completely no. different style of basketball. Yeah, it's funny actually the, the the changes through the the actual um, different leagues. Yeah. Well, when we had Tom on, and Tom was saying like when you have the juniors and they're under certain ages, they have different times and they've yeah. got to get the ball over. Then that changes when you go a bit older. Then they get a bit older again. And then once you get to a different league, it's something else in NCAA, something yeah. different. And shot clock is different. It's different for the women and the men, isn't it? If you watch like the March Madness, the final fours, the men play in quarters, the yep. women play in halves, don't they? Yeah. It's just nuts. But then when I was over there, my freshman year, I used to go back and stay with some of my teammates in their little country towns in Oklahoma. And I watched a high school game and there was no shot clock. So like back then there was no shot clock. Yes, guys used to Steve pass Davidson this. said that. They used to just pass that ball around for ten minutes, and the score would be like six four. <laughs> it's just like what is going on? It's like a football if score. People would just stand at the halfway line with the ball under their arm. If you played a zone, it wasn't even happening. They would just stand there and stare at you. So yeah, it was. It just blew my mind. I was like, why are no one playing defense where there's no shot clock? Well, how can you play this game with no shot clock? Yeah, that is weird. It's bizarre so, now, isn't it? The rules have evolved so much. It's nuts. That's really bizarre thinking there's not because you, you actually asked Steve Davison that question. Could you just stand on the halfway line? Hmm. And as long as you got the ball, you could, in theory, win 2 0. Yeah, because yeah. in Steve's thing, he, he mentioned obviously going to Oklahoma as well. But yeah. you say you won the first draft. Of, yeah, yeah. I went over with Chris Sheldrick. Uh, and Chris is, yeah, he must be about my age. I went over and then, yeah, Chris came with. And then shortly after that, it was Dwayne, Dwayne Late. He made a little career of himself playing for Towers and stuff. He went to New Mexico to play. And then Steve and Matt Eames and them came out after us. I think I'm a little bit older than Steve. Yeah, Steve must be just over 40 and I'm 47. You'd have age. been a couple of years behind you. So yeah. in, you're in Oklahoma. Yep. And then where's the Chicago connection then? So I played, they have like a cage camp. Jimmy Guyman was very good friends with Dan Hayes, the guy that ran the camp. And he's some allowed some of Jimmy's boys to come over. I mean, how many people for... did Jimmy Guyman set up? Really? No, there's a lot of kids going yeah, for that. And then crazy. somewhere down the line, something happened and it just kind of just fell apart. But um, yeah, I went out there with Dwayne and Chris and then you play at camp. You just do all your stations and your drills, but there's 40, 50 high school coaches and college coaches that are coaching alongside as well as just coming to just like watch. So yeah, one of the coaches, Coach Nigro, was just like, do you want to come and play in my college? I think Jimmy had a lot to do with it as well. I think Jimmy gave him the call and said, look, this kid's looking for somewhere to go. And he, uh, yeah, he offered me a scholarship and I had to come back in July, get my visa and fly out at the beginning of September. <laughs> it was brilliant. Literally come back, got my visa, jumped on a plane and left. Brilliant. Got met at the airport by one of the players, taken to the dorm, dropped off. See you at practice in about five hours. Just sat in the dorm room like, now what? Unpack your bag and just go and find the gym. That was it. I guess if you're in that <coughs> position, yeah, like pl just playing basketball is probably way, what you're going to do, isn't it? Like, yeah. That was like your comfort blanket. Yeah. It's like it's always been that way. It's just, I don't know what to do, but there's a sports over there. Let's go shoot some hoops and see if I can get the ball out and see what's going on and have a walk around. But yeah, that was 1994 and I graduated in 99. So no mobile phones, none of that stuff. It was just go and chat to people. Which, to be honest, I'm quite, wow. I'm quite thankful for. I wouldn't have wanted to do it with a mobile. I'd have just stayed in my right. room all the time, just surfing the internet. But we had TVs. 
And and when you went over there, I mean, I'm only asking this just because some of the stories I've heard. Yeah. Was there any politics involved in as far as playing and certain players have to be in the starting five? Oh, in, it, when I was like in the that? states. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not really. Coach had his. Coach Taylor might have had one or two favourites. Um, a good teammate of mine, his name's Brian Goodman. He's now coaching one of the NCAA top teams. He was the point guard at the time, and him and Coach had quite a good relationship. Um, so I was kind of his backup. It wasn't not so much politics. It's more a case of you're going to have to earn your stripes. Yeah. You can't just come in. I came in with a freshman called Kevin Burris, and Kevin was from Oklahoma, and he, we were very similar players, but he was a bit more of an athlete, scorer, bit of a hothead. So he was getting a few more minutes than me. So I had him battling with me and him to and fro. And that one, some games I'll get more minutes than him. Some games he get more minutes than me. And it was nice because we built a bond of, we're both trying to get in this starting lineup here. Let's help each other out rather than trying to go at each other. And eventually we, yeah, for a sophomore year, we started to get more minutes because the seniors all left. And then junior, senior year were the years that I really kind of come out of my shell a little bit. Sorry, I'm just writing down. So it was, it's freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Sophomore, junior, senior. What's their okay. kit like? What well, we was were, the kit like? We were the Bulldogs, but it was made by a company called Rawlings. Do you remember Rawlings? Oh, yes. We had either Rawlings or it was Ruff, Russell Athletic, and the kit was huge. <laughs> Shorts down by my knees. You, you're saying, as I was saying, I think in mid-90s, and I just when saw a gift the other day. That's of, when it was exploding, that wasn't was the, it? The, the, the shorts. We, I was over there before. <laughs> do you remember when Arkansas got them shorts that literally came down past their knees? Yeah, ours came to our knees, and we used to have, like, it was all the aerated heavy stuff now. And I used to wear it, and it used to give you nipple chafe yeah. and a bit like that. But yeah, you didn't care about then. Yeah. The yeah. blue Fury kit. Yeah. yeah, so it's like blue, we were the Bulldogs. And like, it used to blow my mind because coach would be like, right, you got um, you got some money to go into this short, the shopping center. For what? You go buy your team shoes. You all got like $100, go find a pair of shoes. I'm like, yeah, we, we, you buy us shoes? And then the second year, he got everybody Converse. So we're all wearing the same shoes. And to this day, I still want to get my college kids at Brock and it's like the same shoes. I that was, is really cool. That's cool, man. That we're, is we're all wearing very the same cool. shoes. Like, but now everybody loves their own identity and they all like their own little fancy LeBrons or they want KDs or they want Kyries. <laughs> he doesn't like LeBron shoes. No, they're really mean, they're too heavy, man. He put them on in the shop and he almost had a spitting fit. He was like, these are the most uncomfortable shoes they in the world. And to me, him. they're made for someone who's six foot six, six yeah. foot seven. They're big. They were just really long. They were narrow and long. It's really, it's just they? like yeah. squashing your feet. I'm a fan of the Kyries. I wear a pair of Kyries at the moment. They're yeah. pretty nice. But yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. Good four years. And then I came back. What was what's like the highlight of time in Chicago? Uh, well, I was the highlight. <laughs> These are some cheesy ones. So I was named Homecoming King. <laughs> Check this, right? So the only English dude in the college, and I was named the Homecoming King. What a joke that was! And then uh, I made I made the All Conference first team. That was cool. Oh wow! Junior, senior year, the CCAC, and I led the three point percentage. And I'm my my junior year can you remember what that percentage no, was no, <laughs> top of my head i just remember just being, having a green light coach just give me the green light to shoot i at least love it so how how just um so you were the king before no, lebron it was yeah. ridiculous how and they named me the homecoming king how many shots were you throwing up then getting up yeah on a daily basis well way more than now because we had to shoot away back okay back then there was no doctor dish it's literally the thing used to roll down the arm. I've got one actually at my college in Brockenhurst. The kids use it. But yeah, I don't know. A thousand shots a day. Because wow. you could get it up when 
you had the shootaway machine, they would just roll back to you, just taking it off the rack and letting it go. And how many in-game shots were you taking? Oh God, I don't know. Just, just I'm just curious because, like you said, it's a different pace, yeah. a different type of game. So just I don't know. curious. Anywhere between thirty and forty, I would have said. Yeah. Yeah, because you run a lot of. You used to run a lot of offenses through the two spot, but yeah, it must be around thirty shots perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, most teams, most teams we played back then used to play silent special zones, and you used to just be able to pick it apart. Plus, the three-point line was closer, so it was like a set shot. Like the three-point line intersected the top of the circle. Yeah, yeah. So like now, if you moved into that spot, it's like a set shot, and yes, if you're on the line, it's not much to it. But yeah. And then I guess like coming back from America. Yeah. And then. I guess you were helping Mickey again with the to the hoop stuff. Yeah, I used to come back in the summer and help Mick with to the hoop. To the hoop camp. There's a lot of people out there that will tell you that's one of the best camps they used to go to. That was a brilliant camp. It was the. Did you ever go to that? No, I wasn't allowed. A what? Week, a week long Portsmouth Grammar School. I mean, now you couldn't even dream of doing that, risk assessment wise. Like the kids were sleeping in the classrooms on cabin beds. We were in coaches the theatre. Yeah, that's where coaches I slept. were in classrooms doing whatever the hell they wanted to do. There was food being thrown around at Tuck Shop. You see, it was it was brilliant. Like there was so many kids there, Solent kids, Portsmouth kids, people from outside of the Southampton and Portsmouth area used to come down for camp. I mean, you had the best coaches. Yeah, Alan Cunningham, Colin Iris, Carl Brown. You had like Carl Miller. You had John Treadsman, York Williams, Steve you, Nelson. Yeah, you wouldn't get those names at all at the same time yeah. at, at a camp nowadays uh, and the thing was everyone at that camp was it was still i guess in the aftermath of the portsmouth fc basketball club days so we were looking at those like the coaches like wow they're absolutely amazing mm. they're hit like we just like completely idolized them yeah i remember colin irish used to have like a little side hustle as well he would bring like a bag of like his old clothes or yeah, his old never, stuff. yeah yeah the converse stuff converse that was it stuff. And it's yeah, forty quid. Yeah, yeah. He used to sell off his own clothes. Yeah. York Williams used to. York used to have side hustles. He used to come down. And he'd be like, Jax, if you ever need a washing machine, you know where I am. I'm like, York, you live in Manchester. You're miles away from me. But no, yeah, we had a lot of time, a lot of fun in the uh, camps in the evening time. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to help him out for that in the summer when I used to come back. Well, I was back for six weeks, and then I go back out to the states. Okay. Well, uh, you know. Those to the hoop camps were brilliant, though. Like I just remember, you used to do obviously the station stuff yeah. and all that. But then you would it would end. I think maybe halfway you would have like the uh, collection of the best players take on the coaches. Yeah. Coaches, then you would players. have. Um, it was always evening games, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. League games in the evening. Then you'd have your teams, and that would be a competition. See who was the best team. Then you would have one on one tournaments, three on three tournaments best three-point shooter yeah. best free throw shooter um oh it's great they it got jimmy great. in one year jimmy came down to do a talk yeah well i remember this it's a funny story jimmy said uh, can i use you should you shoot in front of the camp while i'll talk to the camp about shooting I'm like yeah cool so i'm shooting hitting these shots from the elbow they're all they're going in i'm like oh this is great the kids are watching and he turns to the kids and he says that's the reason why jacks will never be a prolific shooter and I'm sat going, what? what the hell? What? what, what? And he went, he always jumps and he lands about six inches to the left. And I'm stood there thinking, shit, yeah, I do jump and I land six inches to the left. But I was thinking at the time, damn, you've thrown me under the bus here. You've got me <laughs> shooting. And now you're telling everybody, while I'm never going to be a prolific shooter. It just, it was hilarious at the time. 
I was like, he, he needs to jump straight up and straight down. I said, yeah, you're probably right. I've got to ask this just because of the other stuff we've heard that Jimmy Guyman said. Was he saying that for the kids' benefit or yours? Yeah, this is it. Sometimes you think, like Jimmy, he's not saying that dude, for their benefit. No, he's like Jimmy, Jimmy was awesome. There was one. I remember a Solid game. Especially you're going back to America. Yeah, yeah, he was kind of like saying stuff, but also in a roundabout way telling you something, but not making it obvious. Like, I never found Jimmy really approachable. I couldn't go up to Jimmy and say, hey, Jimmy, how's life? Like, I didn't feel like I could approach Jimmy. He was that guy. I felt like if Jimmy wanted to say hello, he'd say hello. But um, one Solent game, I'll never forget it. I rolled my ankle, and it was a close game. And someone said, go to the changing room. And as I'm in the changing room, Jimmy's come in, and he strapped my ankle up like you wouldn't believe. And he's like, get back out there. And he's just put my shoe on and I'm back out there playing. Like he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to come down. He was just like, the kid needs to get out there and play. So he strapped my ankle up and I'm back on the court playing. Like that was Jimmy really. Like you he was a man of not many words. I didn't have a good relationship. Like Painter probably had a really big relationship with Jimmy through the Kestrel program, etc. But my relationship with him wasn't like, you wouldn't go up to him and just start having a massive conversation. But for him to come down and do that, that was quite, that was a, yeah, it was a good moment. So, just on that note, got to yeah. ask you as a as a coach now. Yeah. Has that changed your mentality supporting kids? Yeah. I mean, I used to. I think when I first come back and I started coaching, when I come back from America, I was a bit like my coach from America, hard ass. You know, pretty much get on your case. You weren't doing what you was told. Sit down. But you're getting older and you have your own kids, and now you're seeing like I definitely see a change in the teenagers at the college I work at you can't kids don't react well to just getting on their in their face anymore like youth used to Jimmy used to just cuss people out and make you make sure that you were aware you messed up and we could all pretty much just deal with it but if I did that to a kid now they'd either not come back I'd have a phone call from someone's mum telling me that I can't talk to that kid like that times have changed so you have to check you have to coach differently you have to kind of just like not sugarcoat it, but be tactful about how you speak to kids. Now, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, n- not that many people know this, but um, I used to do a lot of the coaching for the fun and fundamentals on a Sunday. That would be kids anywhere from uh, under. There was like an under five section, an under seven section, nine and eleven. Yeah, and there was one weekend where I was struggling to get help for a coach, so I phoned Mick up. Went, Mick, I don't suppose you could do me a big favour. This was probably about <laughs> five, six years ago. Oh. But Mick, I don't suppose you can do me a big favour. Like, that. can you come down and help me coach? Yeah, good old. No problem. Yeah. Okay, so I was like, brilliant. I've got a coach. Awesome. So I went, Mick, look, I'm going to go and do the under sixes because literally it's just like having fun and playing, isn't yeah. it? With them. So can you do the under like tens? I think it was. And <laughs> within about 10 minutes, uh, I could hear... <laughs> like that. Within ten minutes, three kids were crying, and I was like, "Mick, sorry, Mick, you got to tone it down." And he goes, "Bloody hell, good out. Everyone's soft nowadays." Yeah, and that's like, it. Yeah, mate, you just you just can't get away with screaming at a ten-year-old anymore. But no. um, yeah, that, yeah. It, looking back at the time, I was like, "Oh man," and some of the parents were looking. But looking back, it was funny because it was that pure transition of that coaching mentality from yeah. the '80s into you know into now but yeah mickey burn what a bloody legend who who was who was more of a i, I guess a what, what's the right word to say a passionate coach 
you're coaching like what's your coach in Chicago like compared to Mick yeah my coach in the States was a hard ass yeah worse yeah, than was, Mick yeah I'd say so yeah he was yeah he used to let you have it I mean there was a time where I remember he, he used to do stuff to get you fired up like he, once he played those mind games he knew how to push your buttons to get you to play harder like he one time grabbed my jersey like on the middle of my chest and he'd like slam his fist into my chest and go come on rah, rah. and you at that time you stood there and you're like clenching your fists as if say right this dude this coach just hit me and some of my teammates kind of like just holding me and said just just chill but then he knew for well as soon as i'd step on the court i'd be pissed at him so yeah. i'd go play harder to prove him wrong and he knew what he'd get from me it was like if he fired me up he knew he'd go out there because i had that desire to try and prove him wrong or play hard to shut him up that kind of mentality but yeah, yeah. he was a bit of a hard ass that's that's what i guess what the the top coaches do don't they they, yeah. they know how they need to you know get the character the donkey yeah and really really get out of it you know when we were talking about last dance before we came on air like you think of phil jackson the way he spoke with different players yeah the way he handled rodman was different how he handled jordan yeah you know you had to imagine being the coach of jordan like how do you handle that where at that point it was one of the most famous people in the world yeah you know regardless of you know the basketball accolades it was just the fame aspect of it yeah. on its own he had to deal with that yeah you can't deal with that the same way you deal with steve kerr yeah or Rob. you know luke longley or <laughs> you have to manage all of these people at, you know pippin having a seat on the bench and you have to deal with all of that mm. yeah and you have to find a way to get each individual person yeah, he was good to at that. give you everything that they've got in their very specific hole but i guess in those days they were they were point guards yeah they were, they were forwards they weren't ones twos fives yeah so now everybody plays it. every spot but like matt guyman had my coach as well matt might have a different opinion to ralph his name is ralph nigro coach nigro so when i came back matt went out to high school and then he went out to college and he played he played at high school for my old coach and i don't think their relationship was I think their relationship was tough. It, Matt used to find him quite difficult. So Matt might have a different opinion. I remember talking to Matt about coach, saying, what do you think of him? And he had his opinion on him. But obviously I went out there, I was a bit bit younger than Matt when he went out, so. Just just for the record, Mark, Matt Guyman, four-time National League Div 1 head coach champion. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think it's four. Is it four? And he's yep. got a national championship with Oklahoma. Okay. His, his university. Oh, we'll have to get him on. Yeah, you that have would to be get cool. Matt on his, he's a player too. Yeah, streetball.co.uk. Wow, there you go, Matt. Yeah, if you're I listening, remember, I can't remember if they called him white chocolate or whatever they <laughs> called him. But if you look at streetball.co.uk, there's this little skinny kid running up and down, tricking everybody. Under 16s <laughs> making passes behind his head. He was doing a Jason Williams. Matt was a hooper, man. It's a shame Matt stopped playing. You know what? Just just going back to something you said, them it'd be amazing the psychology behind it about how. I love the plane ticket. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, well, yeah. just like just waving that. It was like a little warning. Like uh, there will be a coach who you know literally is going to grab you and do that. Oops, to get the response out of you. Yeah. Whereas for another player, he's going to put his arm around him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, you're yeah, doing really well. Yeah. It, it, the, a psychology around that. Yeah, it's mental. I just, I think you're the same as me. As a, as a player, when someone is, I guess, being aggressive towards you, that is what. I would personally respond to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What, what are you like? Uh, yeah, I don't do well with that. 
So you want someone to put their arm around you? Are you okay? No, no. You I, want the aggression? Uh, I don't. It's not much the aggression. I want a constructive aggression. Yeah. So I like it, like you were saying about with Mick, like go in there, and just stop that man. Yeah. That's your job. Yeah. I don't want you to score. I don't want. I don't give. Want a, I don't care if you do anything else. That's your role. It's just to I be think annoying. Mick's words would have been take his head off. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> and because I was a defensive player, so that's where yeah. I wanted that. It's yeah. a case of this is your role. Do this. Yeah. And that's that's where I sat in basketball. I'm happy with that. There's a coach that did that very well. Nick Nurse, when I played for Brighton Bears, he uh, when I yeah I joined the Bears, he had he had some very high caliber players, and he had Randy Duck that played out at California with Jason Kidd. He had Albert White. He was a McDonald's All-American with Jerry Stackhouse. Oh, wow. So, like, I used to live with Albert and Errol Seaman and that, and we used to give each other lifts to practice. And Nick, at the start, literally circled everybody up and said, look, this is your role. Mm. He went around the whole team. He said, Jax, your role is to get the ball to the scorers, shoot when you're open, don't turn the ball over, and play defense. And then you went, right, if I do all of those things, I'm going to play. Yep. He said, Errol, don't Dump. get a rebound. I don't need you to shoot unless you're out inside the paint. Don't do it. All right, done. So everyone had their role, and if everyone paid their part, that was great back then. But now, I don't think that works so much with basketball today because there's no positions. There's positionless basketball. You can't say your job is to go and get rebounds because technically everybody's your board. Yep. But back then, Nick was very methodical because it, it was a big man game, I'd say. We were guards facilitating bigs. And now the game's completely flipped on its head. Now it's bigs just setting screens for guards running around getting the ball. So yeah, it was it was nice to know the role, and Nick was very good at that at Brighton. Not not very great at man management. He used to give the Americans some special treatment. Wow. He used did, to annoy the did English the same folk. in Toronto, I bet. Yeah, <laughs> he used to annoy me and Errol. He used to we used to leave Albert in his bed because he'd get up late, and we wanted to get up practice on time. And you walk in and you get, where's Albert? He's a grown man, he's in bed. Why didn't you bring him? Because he's a grown man and he's in bed. And then he'd walk in late, Albert, about 15, 20 minutes late, just flick off Nurse. Nurse would flick him off back and then that would be the end of it. Wow. Just like, come on, man. <laughs> you can't have one rule for them and one yeah. rule for us. Yeah, so that, that used to wind Errol and I up, but... I think that prep winds guys the team up, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, you've got to treat everyone, everyone the same. I think even in those big teams, look at those, but look, even in the Jordan days, yeah. I, well, actually, we may get Dennis yeah. Rodman getting special treatment, maybe. Well, well they, when, they, he, when he left, he came back, he got on him, didn't he? When he yeah. Yeah, yeah. jumped away and he came back, he kind of called him out in front of everyone. But that was, yeah, that he was, did. That was the shot, and that's the thing, wasn't it? Because they went, We're going to give him his lead, yeah, okay, we'll give him his lead. All right, he's gone too far this time, yeah, give him the slap, and then that next game. There was some. St uh, there was a stat I saw the other day, and I saved it. I, I was trying to find it earlier. Oh, his first game back was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they had in two games, uh, Rodman got something like fifty-nine or rebounds, eighty-nine yeah. rebounds, zero points. Yeah. And it's like that's why he's one of my favorite players because that that's where I would sit. Yeah, that's what Jordan said. What points was it? I, it zero. didn't matter. Yeah. Because he, he punished him, didn't he? he? Made him run around the outside of the court, and they were all deciding to jog. And then when it was Dennis's turn to run to the front, he just took off. Sprint. So it's like, man, let's do. So yeah, that was that was Dennis's mentality. But, it? but that was uh, the era of putting your body into it. Yeah. And then I won't say we got a bit soft in the NBA, but it was the game changed. Yeah. So it softened because the game changed. Yeah. And the I rule. think 
it's started getting a bit spicier now. And so I think it is, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I noticed like it the first so. time when we were in um, over in the States in mm -hmm. 2019. Yeah. And what we got, we were, we were there and it was like, man, the physicality feels a lot harder than we remember. Yeah. Like the, from the last time we were over there, which is probably what, 2015, 2016, something like that. It's like, wow, it was it was noticeable. And this was first game. Maybe it was first game. Maybe they had a point to prove first game of the season. But well, was, I think it was first, second game of the season. But yeah, they they were, you could hear the it. impact and it didn't look like they were holding back. And yeah. it was interesting because we were fairly close. We were able to walk around. So we just walked around the court, just did a little tour. Yeah. But you're then... What, which court did you go to? This is Orlando. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, so we're walking around and literally, like, it's like, Oh, okay. This like yeah, there's the bodies. opening season. They had big boys over there. It was mm -hmm. like wow, um, but it was noticeably more aggressive. Um, and then like yeah, you start this season. I don't know if it's the NBA Cup or whatever it is, but even LeBron the, pushing off the, the, NBA, other, the NBA Cup. I'm not saying the other the one. The in-season tournament. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> but all the pushing <laughs> off. It's like it's almost like uh, I want to say I want to say the NBA players. It's, yeah, there's a, it's a little bit of frustration in there. That's how they're coming across like... Yeah, you're getting... How many people getting technical... Fat? There was one the other week, and it was like four people getting teased just but in like a, a, a series of like 12 hours as four people getting technical. There's a lot... Out and, there's nice. a lot of talk about people talking about physicality of the NBA mm. more recently. It's really, so really stepped up. Maybe the refs are easing off. I don't know. I've got they're a not, yeah, the, controversial one for you. Yeah? The refs what, did, what did you think of Draymond Green's choking? Uh, bad move by him. Bad move by him. So I had, I had a conversation with the kids at college. And I'm like, I'm not a fan of Draymond. Draymond's just out there being a Bloody. body banging people, and they're like, Oh, you can't say that. He's like, well, Defensive Player of the Year, and da 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 da. I'm like, he's, he's just out there just choking people, kicking people, and smashing, you know, fouling. Yes, back in the era, he would have been great with the bad boys. <laughs> They'd have loved him. They'd yeah. have had him in there. But now he's just out there. I'm just gonna throw a controversial opinion here now. We, we we actually talked about this one, didn't we? Mm. I think we did. Yeah. And um, the one thing I noted out of that, and I watched it quite a few times, was it was the guy who came in. It was the, like it was you had Draymond Green and um, Rudy Gobert. No, sorry, Thompson and someone having handbags. Yeah. It was the guy who came in first. It's always the third player who kicks it off. Oh, uh, so Rudy uh, Gobert uh, got him. So Rudy Gobert tried to split the two of them up. Didn't yeah, you? And, and that's when Draymond went But watched Draymond really went slow. I could be wrong in my analysis. Are you, are you talking about Cat? But it was the Can't guy who comes in. He's coming around. He doesn't choke him. No. But he comes around and it it almost looks like that's where it's going. And yeah. that's what I think Draymond Green's say, seeing going, that's my teammate. There's no way you're doing that. And yeah. that's why he grabs him. But my favorite part of that whole clip, and I've said this to you before, is Steve Kerr's face. Where Draymond Green grabs him by the neck and he's like, "No, no, no, <laughs> yeah, no!" Yeah. Like, what are you do? The yeah. crazy thing is, Draymond. You just don't do the neck. Yeah, but he, if you watch that, uh, there was the NBA. I can't believe the NBA TNT or whatever they talk. But they were saying how he dragged him. Yeah. Like he should have yeah, just yeah, let yeah, go yeah. after yeah, yeah. it was split. If he'd have let go, that's too far. That would have been. And then the reason he they wanted him banned for ten games, etc., because he just kept dragging him, mm. and then he was looking at him as he was doing it. Yeah. If he'd have pulled him off. Let go, split it up. He probably would have yeah. stayed. I'd agree with that. It just went on too too much. It's like he was enjoying but dragging him over. Again, you said this. Sorry, I'm pointing to Mark here. Um, not Which Mark one? Jackson. It's not <laughs> Chester. Um, that in 
a couple of years time if when he retires and they have his highlight reel there might not be too many basket scores or rebounds or something like that. It's mm. going to be a lot more of that physicality yep. impacts of the game. They've made yeah. a rule, haven't they? There's rules going around. There's yeah. just literally like yeah. Draymond fouling people, kicking people. Because he got booted in, in, in the nuts yeah. recently. And it, and a lot of people are like payback because you've done that to so many people. Yeah. And uh, he is a dirty player. I kind of like him uh, in a way that he, I want to say he has that villain role, but... He, you just you know he's going to be just a pain to play against yeah because he would he's dirty there's no way around it because you get the other people who were dirty players as well but they are just subtle about it yeah he's unless you're bill lane dear yeah exactly you owned it absolutely there's a good legend there's a good 30 30 for you yeah i hate bill lane beer what a show yeah i mean i hate bill Lane. i've not seen that one for 30 i hate bill lane beer it's brilliant but and it's one I hate questioning later. So, what's your take on Dylan Brooks then? As soon as we're talking about the yeah, nasty. So Dylan just moment. runs. Dylan's like a. Is he a Reggie Miller? No, he's more. I think he's more like. You remember Lance Stevenson used to, used to wind people up? Mm-hmm. It's either he's winding superstars up because he knows he's going to get noticed. Yeah. Or, yeah, he just likes winding people up. Because he's lent into the whole thing like, I'm, you know, I'm my villain. But when you look at it, you think. Reggie Miller was the one that people hated, but they hated him because he was so good. Yeah, he used to hit clutch shots. And, and, and you know, arguably one of the, the best shooters. <laughs> and when you look at some of the stats that puts up, you go, he, he's not actually a bad player. No, yeah. He did well for Canada in the Worlds, didn't he? It's just that he's, um, you know... <sighs> I think we did. We did see him. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So we, we saw Lance Stevenson. Oh, really? Like in that... Um, well, when you were over in the States? Yeah. In that t- at time. So we were going to the Orlando games. And what we actually did, we went to watch an Orlando game. And then, do you know what Horror Nights is? No. So they basically take Universal Studios, kick everyone out at five o'clock and turn it into a massive scare park. That would be unreal. Um, yeah. I'm talking people with chainsaws, zombies, and like people have heart attacks. Like they've got ambulances <laughs> on standby. Yeah. Why would you want to go? Um, and they will it's take. Awesome. Yeah. That they they will take um, a subject like, say, Freddy Krueger, and they will turn a whole house. And you're going in. Freddy Krueger's trying to kill you. Bear in mind that this is Universal Studios, so it is a film. They are film sets. Yeah. They have all the equipment. Yeah, they have yeah. everything there. Special effects. They own all the rights to yeah, Universal yeah. monsters. So when they're doing it, it's they do not it like yeah. yeah. When when that's cut. Co- when the when whatever it is is coming for you. It has got the movie sound effects, so you've so lit- you saw Lance Stevens in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After yeah. the Orlando game, we walked in, and there's just just one guy, just really tall. Yeah, and I think it was my brother was just. Well, because we were with Morgan at the time, and Morgan's like six five. Yeah, so he's a tall guy, but it, it was like nah, this, that, he was, he's a he big dude. Yeah, he's really big. That's nuts. But, yeah, um, but I mean, all of those players, they, that you need to have the talent. If you're going to be the villain, you've got to have the talent to back up. Yeah, and Lane Beer was dirty, but he. You know, yeah, most villains back then though didn't they didn't call themselves a villain, did they? Like nowadays, these guys like I'm the villain, I'm this guy. The Pistons used to just smack people about and move on. Yeah, but you'd also have big players like say Charles Oakley or those, or or, or, I mean, Anthony Mason, then Mason, but they were just big, hard hitting people. Yeah, it was not I'm a villain. It's just I'm I'm just a a big dude. I actually love Bill Lambert. He's an absolute legend. He's a legend. I, I was actually Can you imagine a, playing against someone like that, though. I mean, yeah, that's an just, honor mark. 
an absolute honour. I, I was watching I the other day, funny enough, about it. when Bill Lane in the finals against the Lakers, when uh, Kareem went up for that hook shot, Bill Lane Beer went to block it, and they called a foul on him, and, and someone, <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember who, who said it. It was no way a foul. Lane Beer's going straight up, and he called a foul on him. Pistons are... Got uh, Kareem hits the two. That's it. Game over. And that was game six. So Pistons could have won their first championship there. Yeah. And then someone said, um, the the ref didn't call it because that was a foul. He called it because of the two thousand fouls he did before that foul. Yeah. Um, that didn't get called. So makes yeah. sense. Um, I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, just on this NBA topic, and then we'll get back to you. Yeah. What do you think of CP3 and that interaction Coming with the, the ref? Oh, no, I, with the I ref, you seen that? No, I didn't see that. I yeah. saw like it's I, not good. It checks out. The only thing I saw was when they were showing some referee's shoes, and then they saw Chris Paul talking to a ref. I don't know what that's about though. It's the same ref. What's the ref called? Do you know who it is? Uh, it's the same ref who keeps chucking him out of games. So it, it is. There's been like 15 years of it, and he's had various things with it. The stats are ridiculous. And this when ref this is ref also is the one him. who is linked to the ref who was the dodgy ref who got done for fixing, you know, one of those uh, ones. okay. And he was the ref who was getting calls from the dodgy one all the time, like yeah. after games and all yeah, this sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And everyone was like, he's a known problem. Yeah. He's had, and he's had literally written down why known problems. Why is he still reffing in the league? Well, but specifically, yeah. why is he reffing a game that Chris Paul's in? Because there is a known problem like, history there. where there's a problem and he ejects him all the yeah. time. And those like, two, they clash. So they, he was doing something and something came up and it basically looks like he's he's questioning him going come on you serious it's quite tame isn't it and then he's just like you're out you're out off you go the only thing i would say in the defense of the referee i'm not a lip lip reader we but can it, hear it it looks like the ref's going enough holding his hand flout enough yeah enough and he says it i think two or three times yep that's the only thing however I don't know what you think about this, Jax, is what I don't like about referees, and I definitely try to avoid it as a referee, is walking towards a player. And if there's a confrontation between you and a player, yeah, and, yeah. And, and walk, because I'm now being the aggressor, yeah. coming towards you, going, enough, whereas it should be, I should be walking away, maybe ignoring you or just saying, like, holding my hands up, enough, let's calm down, or something but like that. all of the refs, it seems that they can't take the banter. Yeah. And I get that they probably get so much that we don't hear. Yeah. But they also get great interactions with players as well, I imagine. Yeah. And, you know, we very rarely see those. But it seems that there's no means to escalation. Mm. It's a case of, don't do that. Right, you're on the bench. Yeah. And you think, well, well hang on a minute. You've got to give them a warning. You've yeah, got to give yeah. Them, because you're playing... If you are the fans, you want to see your players... Fired up. Yeah. You want to see them wearing a it's heart. An entertain, it's entertainment for them. Because what is the sport? It's an entertainment. Yeah. Fundamentally, everyone's there wants to win, but it's entertaining. You're there to entertain. Yeah. yeah. You've got to give, there's got to be a little give. The amount of times we see people getting slapped and you go, that was a foul, but they just count the dunk and move on. They're not giving the and one. You're like, surely that was a foul. They're like, oh, they're just. Yeah. You, you know, running. one of the, one of the, the common themes I got criticized for refing was not um the abuse that you've given rest for the last 20 years no and, <laughs> that's, that's, why could, that's why i could never be a rest. <laughs> yeah. right. yeah. i'd tee everybody up would you say technical well again <laughs> I, as a as a as a ref i was the opposite 
because I could s appreciate the passion and the moment where they might turn around, ah, yeah. and the ref technical foul, and I'd be like, mm. well, that's just emotion. I'm going to let that go. Yeah. And I know I got criticized for that quite a few times. It was like, well, why? Yeah. He's looking at a wall screaming. Why am I going to tee him up for that? Like, yeah. There's a few like, of those. Yeah, it's this whole taunting rule, isn't it? Like, you yeah. can't look at someone if you scored on them because you taunted them. You get to yeah, or like you've just... A foul's been called against you, and this is classic. A foul's been called, and a player will bounce a ball very aggressively down yeah. and catch it. Yeah, I've seen tees for that. I'm like, why? Yeah, why would you tee him up? So That's out of order. Yanis did one, and he's dunked it. it. Was like, yeah, and they called a tee for that, and he's like, he was doing it to no one. There was yeah. no one there. He wasn't flexing out. So he was leaving seriously. Yeah, and then LeBron got one a day or two ago for hanging on the ring, Seriously. and he came in from the side, swung in. But he actually openly did that whole swing to assist himself back down. And you go, mm. he could have maybe argued, oh, I didn't want to land on my ass or whatever. Yeah. But the reality is, you go, <laughs> he lifted himself back up. And, it, and he got the tee and he went, that's fair. You yeah. know what I did? And you, got, you admit it. He's like, I shouldn't have done that. You never see these boys fall out of a game, do you? No. Like if you, that, that's another interesting documentary. Oh, yeah, you don't on, do, uh, you actually. On Netflix. Uh, is it on, is well, it on Netflix? Their last foul's got to be big. There's one. Even referees say that local league. If someone's on, let's say you're on four fouls, yeah. the refs know you're on four fouls. That fifth foul is going to have to be something really big yeah, for you to be chucked out of the game. If it will affect the game. It won't affect the game. They're not going to be thinking about it. So is that to your advantage? I Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. If you know it. These top players in the NBA don't foul out. They're entertainment. They can't, when's the last time Steph... Steph threw his gum guard and got thrown, did he? But mm. they don't foul out. These guys he aren't in foul trouble. It's, it's called, like, unsportsmanlike, I think it's called, on, on oh, Disney or course, something. Yeah, yeah. Where they literally follow the NBA. It's about that guy, the NBA corrupt ref. Yes. And they literally say the NBA's corrupt and that they have referees. What's that called? Um, I want to say it's called unsportsmanlike, but that sounds a bit too easy. But it's, it's yeah, it's about the... Um, I think it's on Disney. It's about the referees over there and how corrupt they were. Oh, I'm writing this down. I'll check it Tim out. Tim Donaghy. Yeah. Former basketball official. What's it? What's the documentary called? Uh, I don't know. I'm just looking up for it now. It's on, it's, so they're saying about how referees are told and he to leave these guys cheating. in the game. The referees are told to leave these certain players in the game. You can't foul this one out. You can't foul them out. Like Jordan, went, Jordan didn't really foul out much, did he? Like no. Jordan might have got a tee or two. but so, I mean, that's silly. I mean, imagine... Right, I'm a ref and I'm you're in the game and I know that I'm not allowed to foul you out. Yeah. And you know that as yeah. well. So they like, get away with stuff. Yeah. But yeah. But you're gonna I suppose it depends on the player though, doesn't yeah, it? You're gonna it, play properly or you're just gonna If you abuse really it. take yeah, it's when you abuse it, that's when they, they can't. If you're out there smashing people, it's yeah, obvious yeah. they're gonna throw you out. But then fast forward to now and you get like I just even looking for that quickly on the phone, you get all these things saying players saying Oh, the the uh, the ref has cheated us out of this, and the refs cheated out of that, and it's it's that kind of one's dirty the pool. Yeah. Now everyone's pushing up against it, and for some reason they've the way that the refs are approaching the game. Last season, some of the worst refing I've seen, <coughs> but the yeah. consistency was shocking. And I know that you've said to me more than anything else of being a ref is about being fair with the consistency of being that's the, that's the only thing I always try to do be consistent if you're yeah. going to be yeah or judge them if, the, if they're a, I'm not going to say a bad ref but 
that people are human, you have a bad day. If you're ba- having a bad day at both ends of the floors, I don't think anyone can complain. But no. if you're being hard, you'd be consistent. hard with everyone. Whereas if you're just like letting it go, you let everything go. It's yeah. not pick and choose. And yeah. It, and they, they just have that really bad consistency. Well, we but need to do an NBA show we need it about refs. Oh, yeah, get a ref on. Yeah. I'm get, trying. Get the I am legend trying. Tim Brown. Get him on. Tim Brown. I used to love Rick. Tim Brown's a good ref for me. Tim used to talk to players. He was that guy that we were talking about earlier. Like, if he could see you doing something that you weren't supposed to do, he'd <laughs> run by you and be like, I can see you. And I can see you hand checking. The next yeah. one I'm going to call, you'd be like, thanks, Tim. But yeah, and if. What's your favourite hey, naughty I move then? I never uh, got a What's your favourite naughty move? Tim? Come on. I've learned, like, over time, like, I was trying to teach my kids the other day. You know, when you drive by someone, you get your first step and you use your, your offhand to protect the basketball. Now, I grab. With their offhand, I grab the back of someone's calf, like behind their knee. The leg grab. So then I just, they can't step back. And this kid was like, what'd you just do to my leg? I was like, yeah, you couldn't move it, could you? He's like, you're not allowed to do that. I said, says who? It looks like I'm defending the ball. You referee ain't going to know that I've grabbed your leg. He said, that's hooking. I said, it's not hooking. Hooking's completely different. I've just stopped you from moving your leg. He went, yeah, but how do I do it? So I had to talk this kid how to do it. <laughs> but yeah, it's my, if you're two clients riding, riding the hip, I'm, I'm grabbing legs. I love it. Or oh my little, God, you don't have to do that. Yeah. Teach me. <laughs> yeah. Or the old poke to the stomach when someone's shooting. Oh, you must have done that. Someone takes a jump shot near you. You just tap the side of their knee or their leg. It's like off-putting. It was, I always went for the face. Yeah. Like hand in the face. That's what I always went for. Um, but you know what? This is, I never really played with Mark at all. Um, no. Because when you were, I suppose, National League, when I was National League and Div, around Div 2, you were the trailblazer yeah, yeah. and the thing. But the, the, we had very, very few interactions, I think. But the, the one I, I do remember is um, oh, it was, it was a, a local league one. And um, um, I don't know I don't know why. Someone just said, like, oh, they got Mark Jackson. I was like, all right, okay, let's just, I'll see if I can wind him up. So I started going. I don't. Did you you, probably, up? I don't you probably don't even remember. This. I don't remember. I just started going. Old man Jackson. Yeah, old man Jackson or something <laughs> like that. And I, I don't remember that. And um, I think I might have hit a nerve. I don't know because I remember putting a pick on and I literally got an elbow straight into the ribs and I was like, like, like winded me. It's like, stop. I don't remember. I apologise. <laughs> I sat down I with never. Meant to hit you. There's people lining up to do that to no. me. So I sat down with. Don't say old man Jackson. <laughs> don't say it. Man, I get it all the time. That old man. It just it spurs us on. Yeah, it does. <laughs> right. Let's let's go back. The NBA back is the taken over. So, yeah. you just come back from uh, Chicago Barrett. Yeah. Graduated. Yeah. Um. Was the transition straight? to the BBL from there? Yeah, so I came back and... Amazing. I came. I graduated in the summer and then Paul James was at Thames Valley through another coach. Got in touch with him. They were looking for a backup point guard for their American. Um, and they just signed me, yeah. So I went and lived Oh, up wow. So it literally, what had, had anyone seen you play? Like, nah, not it, really, It no. was based on the coach at Barrett going, this guy can play. Yeah, I came back here and then through... Word of mouth, the people knew Paul James from from in this this area. He just kind of got wind that I was back, and I played in the states, and I went up. So I tried out up in Angmering. Uh, no, all the shot garrison. We went up and trained, and then uh, he was like, "Yep, yeah, we'll sign you." Wow. So then I was driving up there every night playing with those guys, 
and that's yeah. That you, oh, so you're still living down here? Yeah, I lived in oh, my wow. folks. Yeah, I lived with my my mum, dad. Dad used to drive me up because I couldn't drive at that point. I didn't learn to drive till I was like 22. So he used to drive me up, watch me train, and then I'd drive back. And then in the following seasons after that, I moved into the house with the players. Yeah. It was oh, what, a, they was, all in the yeah, big they house? Lived in, they lived in two houses in Crowfall next to each other. So I moved in there with a couple oh, of the lads. Wow. But yeah, that was 1999, and that's when we went to the finals up at Wembley. That was quite. That was quite an experience. That's one of our oh, favourite wow. kits. Tampa Bay Tigers. Tigers. That was yeah. the stripy Tony that, the Tiger special. This is orange, and it, I, I'd, I'm, yeah. you know, my brother watched, listened to the podcast where I say uh, stripe. It's, was it was it a claw or was yeah, it, it was just stripes? It was like tiger stripes. Tiger stripes. Basically, tiger on kit, the sponsored site. by Fila. Like you look at it, and you think, what are we wearing? We're a bunch of tigers running around out there. Oh, but yeah, it was, was iconic. Amazing. Sponsored by Kellogg's. Yeah, it was. It was, <laughs> no. it was quite iconic. That is, I mean, I don't know what it would look like looking back on it now but i remember as a kid looking yeah. at that kid go a kit going that is one of the best kits i still remember it going what an amazing kit like yeah. bengal tigers basically yeah, it? yeah yeah it was yeah, pretty yeah. much like that yeah yeah it what? was really big and baggy i remember they're, they're like we don't have because i joined halfway through the season so they all had their names on their jerseys and everything and they just gave me a jersey with no name on the back oh, I, was just, I was just number nine which is i didn't really care i just wanted to play basketball so yeah, I was just number nine. What number were you at college? Did 22, you have... 22. Okay. But it was just like, well, this is the numbers that are free. Just give me a jersey, I don't care. I'll have number nine. So, so I played in that. So like, just got to highlight Paul James. The one stat I love about him yep. is as a coach, he is one um, with the exception of four BBL clubs. He's won as an individual more games. Yeah. With the exception of four clubs, yeah. the guy's been around forever. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, he's a, he's a good coach. Yeah, I like to. I spent a lot of time playing. Football. Currently at Plymouth Patriots. Yeah, doing well. I mean, I got in touch with him a few years back when we were doing like our all-in stuff, saying that he's a coach that kind of gave everything to the sport. Uh, he sent us a nice video and this that, and the other. But yeah, it was it's nice because he did he did help the British players come through. It wasn't all about the Americans. He was because he's a British player himself. He understood the you know the need for English players to not just be sat on the bench backing up everybody, yeah. getting a two one minute here, two minutes there. He allowed them to play a role in it. I mean, I had Lee Walker who was Welsh, Stuart Robbins who was Welsh, playing multiple minutes. Um, myself, Martin Godfrey was playing for England at the time, so it was five or six guys that were all English calibre players. Um, who you had alongside Julio Pelletti. This dude was um, Argentinian, could just flat out hoop he was in his 40s when i was playing the guy had a heart attack carried on playing not like literally but came back from it carried on playing so yeah he it was nice playing for paul in that essence because he allowed us a platform to showcase so what was that coming from the states and playing in the states yeah to them playing in the bbl what was that like because like the transition between america and the bbl yeah because yeah when we've been watching the BBL and getting back into it, it's fair to say. Yeah. After like, you know, 20 odd year hiatus. The thing that really stands out is British basketball has its own flavor. Yeah. It definitely has its own rhythm. Yeah. It's not Euro basketball and it's not Americanized basketball. It's kind of its own thing, isn't it? Yeah. So bit, of, bit of Irish crickets here now, Mark. You, you wish. <laughs> but, but what is, what was that like? From, so you've come from Chicago, yeah. playing there, yeah. and then you come straight into the BBL. 
So we went from, well, you in essence go from playing with like 18, 19, 20 year olds that are all, you know, they're still young men. So now I'm in the BBL and I'm playing alongside guys, but played at Clemson, you know, you played at Cornell, you're playing against Tony Dorsey, who was MVP, John White. You're playing against guys that have like, um, oh, what's his name? Seasoned. You took Terrell Myers over at Sheffield. You've got guys that play for Michigan. You've got guys that played all over the place. We're talking D1 talent. Um, so yeah, you think to yourself, right, I'm just a small part of this team. I'm a role player here. I wasn't brought in to be a superstar. We had Casey Arena, who was our point guard at the time, and he was playing out of Maine, and he was their focus point guard for the last two or three seasons. So I knew my role was just to back him up, essentially give him a break, come in, do my job, and then give Casey time to have a rest. But yeah, it was it was great because uh, you went from being a, a good college player in your own team to going, all right, now these this is this is the big leagues. And to me, it was a big league. Really, when you look at it, you think, well, it's British basketball. It's not like we're out in Spain playing in the Euro League or the Euro Cups, etc. But coming back and playing professionally in this country and you played against D1 athletes, it was quite intimidating at first. So you mentioned some American players as well. Yeah. Were there many European players coming through at that point? Because um, we obviously see more and more European players yeah. as time's gone on over the last not, not two, then. three decades. But. I'd say literally every team had five or six Americans. And I, I, we oh, had, really? Yeah, five or six Americans. Then there was one New Zealand player, Piero Cameron, who played for the New Zealand All Blacks national squad. He used to come over, play BBL for Chester, and then go back to New Zealand and play in New Zealand. So he used to play all year round. And you had uh, James um, Hamilton that did the same thing, played at Chester and then went over, overseas and played. So yeah, there was there were some big names. But not many Europeans, I'd say. It was mainly Americans. You had like literally five or six Americans on each team. And we're not talking Americans that have like British passports. Oh, but these are Americans. Proper, proper import. Yeah. yeah. And nice. then you had your English kids in there. So like, like on the bench. But I suppose it's, I suppose, it, I don't want to say it's bigger now, but we're looking at going, wow, like that is professional basketball. Like, you don't need to go in the details of it, but you got, you'll get, you got, your job is playing basketball. Yeah. You're, you're getting a paid salary there. Yeah. It was, that's got to feel good. At that time, you think, well, I'm getting paid monthly. We all did coaching, like we worked in primary schools coaching and then we trained and then we enjoyed ourselves in the evening when we went out. And then you got up late, went to the gym, went to coach, went to practice, went out, had had fun doing it. But then you, at that point, you think, well, I'm a professional athlete. They give you a car that's got Thames Valley Tigers running outside. You're driving a car. I remember driving it down to Southampton and it was a white Toyota Venzis with Thames Valley Tigers on it. I was thinking, yeah, big time. And I pulled up outside Icon and Diva in Southampton to pick up my friends as they were out having a few beers. I was like, I'll pick you up from outside. I remember a guy come out and he thought I was a taxi. <laughs> so he come up to me. He come up to me drunk as hell. And he's like, hey, mate, can you take me to Hive? I was like, mate, I'm not a taxi. And he's like, I'll give you 20 quid, take me to Hive. I said, I'm not a taxi. <laughs> I only go to Thames Valley. Yeah, I only go to Thames Valley and back, mate. Do you know who I am? <laughs> yeah, it's written down a car, dude. No. But yeah, it was it was fun. And then what you don't realise at the time is it's going to end. And then, now what? Like, I, I, yeah. my degree was graphic design and art at uni. I wanted to be an architect, but basketball just took over. And then at the end of it, you're like, right, now the career, it's not life-changing money. It's not going to pay for your house. It's not going to, you know, eventually it's going to stop. So you have to find a career some way. But yeah, while you were in it, it was brilliant. 
It's brilliant. And that's the crazy thing. I look at it now is, and we've been talking about the finances of it, is if basketball was as big as football, yeah, like you would have been on bloody good money. Yeah. Really good money. Yeah. Um, if basketball was as good, big as football, even the National League players would have been, in Div 2, you'd be getting two grand a week, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, yeah, but all the money's going to run out, I think, in a lot of professional sport. I think that's going to change pretty soon. Those boys at London Lions are on big money. Like Sam Decker's on about 800000 for the season. Wow. Like, if you think he's been brought in as an ex-NBA player, they've yeah. got a match money, haven't they? And chatting to my coach at the GB, um, Dave Greenway, he said they all have uh, houses up in Canary Wharf, so they've all got apartments, and they get a free Uber. So they get like a free Uber card thing, so wherever they want to go in London, they just get driven. They get oh, fed wow. after every practice, after every game. Like, it's a professional setup compared to what we, we were used to. Like when it was London Towers, they had Americans, but they were all living in houses, driving themselves to the, the training sessions, etc. Yeah. But now it's... There's definitely a big step up between, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, between, I want to say, everyone else in the league and, mm. and London. London it's almost like... Um, sure, it's nothing it's to do almost with like the fact that the league owns... Yeah, seven, well. seven, no, seven, but yeah. yeah, I mean, they it's own it. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I say, as a business, they're not going, we want our team to win. I don't know. I, I can't see that myself. But I would say it feels like the budget for the nine teams is, I don't know, let's say a mil they're spending. I don't even know this, what they're spending. But then the London Lions is up another level. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what they're spending. But if you're saying 800 grand on they, one player, on silly you know. Money. Um, I look at the calibre of players, though. They just... When you go down their, their roster, yeah, they can good. sit guys whenever they feel like it. Don't get yep. me wrong, it bit them in the ass and they lost to Plymouth. Yep. And they've lost to Newcastle, haven't they? Wins but, a win, though. Yeah, but you can't bring in... you got Matt Morgan. you got these guys that played over in France with Victor. Yep. And now he's playing in the UK for London. But obviously they play on this Euro stage. And that's what attracts those guys to London because they play in the Euros. So what do you think about them resting people? I get it. They only play 36 games in a season. Yeah. I get it, but... It's not many. Nah. To be to need resting. I think theirs is, if they play three games in a week, they might play three games and have a day off and then they've got another game coming up. So they try and rotate. And they do have a deep enough bench to rotate anyone. The London Lions have got guys yeah, that can like, sit and play. Yeah. They've got like maybe two or three guys at every spot that could just come in and do a job. You've got Luke Nelson coming off the bench. Like, but if you're owning the league, if you're running the BBL now, putting yeah. you on the spot. Yeah. Paul's already said, just give them the cut. They're done. You know, there you go. Congratulations, you've got the league. Well done. Yeah. It's more interesting watching all the other teams moving Compete. up and down. And there's been so much movement yeah. in the league as well. Yeah. People are in the second, then fourth, and people moving up. Yeah. If you're managing the league, you want people to be buy into the league. Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah, it's tough. Because they've just got products of one team at the top, and that's the product. Yeah. It's not the league of the product, isn't the product. The product's the, the, the Lions, really, at the moment. Yeah. Which is a shame, because like, Caledonia in Europe, Bristol are in Europe. Yeah, Newcastle. Newcastle are in Europe. I guess you want to elevate the nine up yep. at the same level. They need yeah. more teams. You've got double the league. But what I didn't realise, when you're talking about, con I didn't think about this, when you're talking about contracts, that at any point they might have something in their contract where 
bam, they're off. Oh, I got an yeah. offer in Spain. I'm gone. Yeah. So do you think in the contracts there's nothing that says what well, you got to wait at least a year or it'll be like no, they someone big yeah, comes they probably in. have buy-ins. Yeah, they probably have their agents probably talk contracts and say, look, this is a stopping gap for us. We'll play, but there's got to be a get-out clause. So like your Devin Van Neustrom's that played and then left. Like we're, you know, one week they're there, one week they're not. And you think, right, that, that didn't, that never used, that didn't used to happen back in the day. As soon as you started the BBL season, that, you know, you, those guys were there every game. And now yeah. players go and come. One game you've got someone and someone's commentating saying, oh, so-and-so's left us now and we brought in someone <laughs> else. Yeah, that, yeah, they rotate. I, I have noticed a few people being just released from contracts. Yeah, and they just, they go, don't they? And then they bring in someone else. Yeah. So what, that must suck a little bit as a player if you just yeah. like... Even if you, because that means that essentially you've got a contract, but kind of at any point we can just pull the rug anyway. Yeah, that's, that's, that's your old. It's almost like the, a the running ticket, yeah, ten-day yeah. contract, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like a running contract. What was it like when you were playing for the Tigers? So when I played for the Tigers, it was fantastic. I, I the, my teammates were awesome. I got to play in Wembley. I mean, we used to go to Coventry Sky Dome. We played on Sky Sports. It was it was it was awesome. Like the the bit that we would, if we talk to my local league teammates now, well, like, like Painter, the one thing we say we miss uh, the most, if not, well, maybe the second most other than playing in front of crowds is the traveling. Like sitting on a minibus, sitting on a coach, playing cards with the lads, you know, listening to music. That side of it, I miss. Yeah. The, the banter. I know so many players who always say that, the it's, away games. It's the sitting in a bus. Like if you yeah. talk to them now, we used to play cards. Nick Nurse showed me this game called AC Deuce, which was a gambling game. We used to gamble on the buses. Guys would like write checks and leave them in the middle. And it was all all that kind of stuff I miss. And then, but at Thames Valley, it was brilliant. But then sadly, my, my girlfriend at the time was American. And I thought I was going to move out and live with this girl in America. So I made my plans to move out and, and not play. And then it something happened and we kind of just separated went our ways it wasn't going to work out but at that point it was mid-season it was like mid-contract time so my contract was up with Thames Valley so they signed someone else so then Paul's like we'd love to have you back but your minutes are going to get cut in half because we've got this oh wow we've brought in Eric Burks and I'm <laughs> thinking oh man so now Eric was, you suck yeah I was, I was like <laughs> brilliant great great timing but then luckily Romick down at Brighton Bears was like we need a we need a guard do you want to come play for Nick Nurse and Brighton Bears and it was like yeah so you, you yeah. had the option of staying with the Tigers? I would have loved to, yeah. Um, but then I did. I thought I was going to move to the States and start a life. And what was that, three years? I was years with Thames Valley for three years, three yeah. Years. Yeah, I did. I joined them halfway through the 99 season. It might have even been, yeah, three or four years. Because I played with John twice, and then one season he went away to Scotland. So I want to say four years, maybe. And then I went and played with Nick down at the Bryan Centre. And, like, were there any... Did you have aspirations at that point? Like, I want to get back to America. I want to be playing in the NBA. Did you, like, after co were you thinking that? Because, like, I guess by the time you finish college, that's when most guys go through the draft. Were yeah. you thinking that? Or? No, not really. I mean, back then, I was in an NAI Division One school. I wasn't naive to think that in order for me to make the NBA, I had to be something special. Like, five foot 11 guard from England playing NAI Division One basketball. They're looking at, Duke, they're looking at North Carolina, they're looking at these types of caliber players. Now, you know, these D1 schools, they're already getting drafted, they've already been handpicked before they've even gone to the universities. 
I would just love to play for money and continue playing as long as possible. And when I went to Solent after Brighton, then someone from Spain come over and they were like, we'd love for you to come and play in Spain in um, Alicante. Oh, wow. So I went out there for a, like a trial for four days and played in Spain with these guys. And I enjoyed it, but the language barrier was an issue. There was one American and he was trying to translate a lot of things that the coach was saying. But they were offering the same money as Solent. So it's a bit like, do I want to go to Spain and deal with this? They wanted me to coach. This is Solent Stars. Yeah. They mm. wanted me to go and coach out in Spain and run their little youth program. I couldn't speak a word of Spanish. And I thought, right, do I want to go? Is it just, am I going to go for the money? If so, I might as well stay at Solent where I'm comfortable. So I did, I stayed, Jim Rumsey kind of convinced me to come back and, and play for the Stars. Wow. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. That is the end of this part. But do not worry, because coming soon is the second part of this episode and it will be available soon.